Welcome, everybody, to Episode 7 of Winging It, Community Cloudcast. I'm your host, Eric Shups, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Rob Bogue, proving he can count to seven. <laughs> it takes two hands um, <laughs> and, and not virtual backgrounds because it apparently thinks that it's got a ghost at all. <laughs> Those don't work. <laughs> Speaking of virtual backgrounds, what on earth is behind your head? That is the ceiling of the West Baden Hotel in West Baden, Indiana. It was at one time the largest open span um, east of the Mississippi, uh, indoor open span. It was made by a bridge builder. Uh, and so there's this big, huge atrium. And, and, and it was just a funny picture to pick for today. Ah, well, all right. And, and you have some techish, earthy background that looks like it got rejected by the Matrix. Yeah, probably, as have I been. Uh, or maybe we're in the matrix for all I know. Could be. <laughs> I was hoping for a better simulation. This one kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. If this is the simulation. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good thing is neither of us own cats, so we won't have any deja vu. So yeah, well, hopefully. Hopefully. He says, well, uh, jumping into it for this month. Thank you all for joining us again. New episodes every second Thursday or as close to that as we can get. Uh, you can watch us on the YouTube channel or on Facebook. And I keep forgetting to update this with the Spotify link. So for those of you who wish to listen instead of seeing our wonderful faces, you can do that on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Just search for Community Cloudcast and you will find us. I believe it also has video podcasts. I'm not exactly sure how that works. But uh, we upload it as a video. So what happens to it from there? I have no idea. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. Total chaos. Thank our sponsors, of course. Uh, Aptogent. And uh, we don't really have any new announcements. We did some updates. Actually, we did some up, uh, uh, some updates for that got released for Power Platform. Some small updates about a month or so ago that brought a few new uh, customer requested features in. We're working on some pretty cool new stuff. Stand by for that. All coming soon to a theater an automation near platform near you. And of course, confident change management. Rob, what's going on with in the confident change management world? Uh, several things actually. We so we've got a couple more uh, change models up. Um, we continue to put more book reviews up, more understanding about how change works and not. And uh, next week, I get to do another in-person live training. So um, lots and lots going on with it. It's lots of fun to talk to people about making change actually work rather than pretending. Right. Well, there's a change. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now, you, you've got, Eric, you got to tell them the story. Right. Like you got to tell them the aircraft behind the hidden costs problem. <laughs> yeah, so so our topic this month is the hidden costs of cloud computing. Uh, and I did choose this uh, image for a very particular reason, not just because it is this particular airplane is mostly constructed uh, uh, here in Fort Worth. And, and we see them test flying around all over the place, along with the F-22s. But uh, the F-35 is notorious for being a the big dig of uh warplanes manufactured in the last uh, few decades. Uh, for those of you not familiar, the Big Dig in Boston was an underground freeway project that that um, consumed more money than anything else uh, and, and did so over the years uh, way, 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 way over budget. The F-35 is the same. Uh, Air Force is constantly being called to task for how much money is being spent on the F-35 and the vendors, of course, are always saying, yes, yes, we'll make it cheaper. We'll make it cheaper. And it never gets any cheaper. A marvelous aircraft, however. Uh, for those of you who are not uh, airplane aficionados, uh, but who recognize this particular aircraft will probably recognize it from Top Gun Maverick, where um, a, um, a facsimile thereof was used as the fifth gen fighters that uh, Maverick and uh, Rooster and whatnot were fighting against. But in any event, it is a very cool aircraft and a very loud one if you're ever anywhere um, near it when it's flying around, but also very, very expensive, which leads us into our topic for this month. And that is, why is the cloud so stinking expensive? Even though we were promised, Rob, weren't we, that it would save us money? It will save you money. 
buy now, finance later. (laughs) I feel like a -a rent-a-center commercial, right? (laughs) You can have it today for that low, low price. Never own it. (laughs) And actually, you know, that really is a good analogy, right? Like that's sort of what we got with cloud computing. I think what's um, what's interesting is, right, and it's balance. Um, Lots of things that small and medium businesses just wouldn't have paid for. You and I would do these massive uh, farms and fault tolerance and disaster recovery and all this stuff. And, you know, the little guys, they never they couldn't do that. Right. Like they're running something on a single server. It's underneath Jane's desk. Just unplug it when she turns her heater on, whatever it is. Right. (laughs) Uh, So you got a lot of things and they said it would be cheap, but I'm not sure that cheap in their mind is cheap in our mind. So, indeed, very true. Well, it, there's numbers behind this. This isn't just consultant speak, uh, of course, or, or disgruntled administrators who think their job is being taken away. Uh, we've addressed that in past episodes, but uh, this is from a survey done in 2021. It's only escalated from there uh, about the top concerns and, and cloud migration challenges. Uh, no less than three of these, uh, we could argue even four if you count, bring your own license, are all about costs, with the third most biggest challenge being assessing on-prem versus cloud costs. And this particular point is interesting because it's not just the cloud is more expensive than we thought, it's that try creating an estimate for how much the cloud is actually going to cost from any vendor. It's impossible. It's, Mm -hmm. It's flying unicorns and iridescent whales. It doesn't exist. So what you have to understand is that Eric and I were once in a session had to be about, it was about an exam and I uh, was so moved by the discussion of this person. (laughs) I had to ask them if there were unicorns in their world and Eric being Eric had to add (laughs) flying unicorns and and iridescent whales and iridescent whales um and so it's it's kind of our like uh reality check moment right it's it was this big reality check moment and i think what you're saying is so you know they have calculators but some of the inputs to the calculators you don't know um you know most people don't keep tight control or observation of their cpu utilization on all their machines everywhere in the environment over the period and that that compute actually is a non-trivial number for your cloud costs and so yeah we see this all the time you're like well how much is it going to cost us well i'll tell you what we'll know when the bill comes (laughs) (laughs) until then it's guesswork and this is a significant challenge for a lot of organizations especially those that have structured budget cycles that that have to be allocated and planned for in advance and uh, I, I remember struggling with some nonprofits and trying to implement some cloud stuff and them asking the you know worst question, what's this going to cost us? Because they have to go raise that money to fund it. Right. And the answer is, I don't know. Right. Um, so uh, a huge challenge. Uh, and then uh, flipping to the next uh, set of responses, jumping right up to the top uh, is optimizing existing use of cloud and cost savings. This is always after you tried to budget it and then you get it in and then you get the first bill. The immediately next thing you do is, okay, how do we stop using all this stuff we just turned off? Right. Step one, migrate to the cloud. Step two, migrate back (laughs) on-prem, right? Um, Or optimize, right? What does optimize mean? Um, I think that's an, it's a thing because we, we, you know, storage is relatively cheap. There's a lot of stuff that's relatively cheap. um, And a lot of times it's that compute. And so, you know, I've got clients where there are some workloads that are not fault fault tolerant requirements, right? Like they don't care. They go down, they're batch workers, they just do background stuff. They may never move to the cloud because it's hard to justify it based on the cost structures. Look, you can you can deploy you can deploy all these old boxes and they can just work as long as they work, right? Like you can heat the the uh server room with three boxes instead of 30 because they're just all screaming the whole time, but you're not 
you know, the, the tab isn't running the whole time, you know, getting those compute costs. Yeah. And, and a big part of this particular challenge of optimizing the use of cloud is that every feature that cloud vendors release, of course, because they're in the business of charging you by the drink requires more cloud consumption. We, we say things flippantly like, oh, just spin up an Azure VM or do it in an Azure app service or just put it in Key Vault. But the vast majority of developers don't even have access to those things. They have right. to go ask for them to be turned on. And it's a months long process to get it approved. Right. Well, and, and you know, we're we're moving, we're transitioning to where the there's workloads that were never on prem and they couldn't have been on prem. Right. And whether it's at image services or it's something else, you're now consuming these API calls that you have very little control of cost. Um, it, in a kind of a protracted throttling conversation with some some of our friends. And, you know, there's this, you, you as an app owner can never really know what the rest of the tenant is doing, uh, the noisy neighbor problem, right? You, you, there's just so much you can't know and even if a organization authorizes something and they're like, oh yeah, you know, use this service. You're going to use it a hundred times a month and the cost won't matter. And then somebody goes, let's roll that out to the organization. And now all of a sudden it's a hundred thousand times a month. And, and that 10th of a cent that they're charging you actually starts to matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a difficult, uh, uh, challenge it's almost a dichotomy in in certain ways because you new features roll out right and we'll talk about some specific microsoft 365 related features uh here in a bit but new features roll out they're valuable to the business you want to use those features great but then the cost structure multiplied by like you said twenty five thousand or fifty thousand or a hundred thousand right right means that the business can't take advantage of the very things they move to the cloud for because the pricing um, is prohibitive and, and right. it just can't be justified. Right. Well, and, and, you know, I think, I think the thing you're leaning towards the, is, you know, Microsoft Copilot, right. And AI and, and these licenses that are expensive, right. And you cannot justify, uh, for, in most cases, you can't justify for many of your information workers, the costs associated with these additional licenses. Um, and yeah, and, and there's, there's, there's lots of that in, in the space. Well, the cloud is going to be better, faster, cheaper, whatever. And you're like, well, it's maybe better if they stop moving the menus around. Um, it's, you know, maybe better. I, I don't know. I think we, we, we make the assumption that we're going to go do this and they get the economies of scale and the economies of scale is going to make it all work. And it doesn't always. Yeah, that's very true. And you bring up the point about licensing, which is a, a never ending discussion in and of itself that in my opinion, cloud vendors make purposely obtuse yep. uh, so that it is hard to figure these things out, hard to know what you need to buy. Uh, but look here, the top challenges of software in the cloud is understanding the cost implications of the licenses and, right. and dealing with the complexity of the license rules. And this is not just this particular survey, at least it's not just my, it's not Microsoft centric. This right. is true of, of cloud vendors across it's the board. Yep. Yep. Uh, and we've experienced that ourselves running, uh, you know, at scale in a multi-cloud environment and just trying to figure out all the intricacies <laughs> of the various licensing components. It's a nightmare. Well, and it's it, absolutely. And, What's interesting for me is you can get an answer and the answer is wrong, hmm. right? Like you get told one thing and then two months later, three months later, six months later, they do an audit and they're like, oh yeah, no, you can't do that, right? Um, conditional access rules requiring a P1. Um, there's there's lots of little stuff um, that you you get told, oh yeah, you can you can turn that on for everybody. That's included. And base licensing and then they go oh yeah no sorry just kidding i heard from somebody else that it isn't 
And, and B side said, I've not sold enough and I need the numbers to get my commission. <laughs> but but well, not being cynical. To to make that, we would never do that. To yeah. to make that worse, very few, if any, of the vendors, and I have yet to see one that's at all effective, uh, does their billing uh, dashboard or presentation of billing data or reports match what they're doing for auditing. So you don't know how many of these things you're consuming and at what level and what things are you doing that it should pop up something and say, this is going to introduce extra licensing. It's always after the fact. Right. Right. It's black box mad. It's black box magic. It just turns out. Well, and as it so happens, um, people are, are saying that they're wasting 30% of their cloud spend uh, yep. on either features they don't use or features that are moderately used, but not worth the investment mm -hmm. uh, or are just simply wasted by letting resources <laughs> run when they're not being used. You know, the classical problems of VMs running in the cloud when nobody's actually accessing the virtual machine, right? Right. Just soaking up compute time. Right. Um, that when you think of the global IT spend on cloud, uh, that is a huge, a, I would even say it's a huge number uh, mm -hmm. at 30%. Mm -hmm. That's billions and billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's inuring only to the benefit of the cloud providers and never to the customer. Right. Well, and the customer can't, yeah, this is, you know, from a systems perspective, it's an optimization problem, right? You can invest more money in optimization and you drive that number uh, progressively. You'll drive that number down. But at what point does the money that you're spending to optimize exceed the amount of gain that you're going to get? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think lots of folks started out with the cloud where, you know, we're going to throw everything up there. We're going to see what sticks because that's all we got capacity for. You know, basically it's lift and shift and we're just going to do it and and then we'll see what the bill is and then we'll figure out, we'll try to figure out where the bill is coming from and then we'll optimize those pieces, right? And I've seen shifts in app dev because people have realized, oh my gosh, this, you know, widget app that we've got up in the cloud is 40% of our total spend. Mm -hmm. And they're like, how does that happen? And you're like, well... I could have told you that you have armies of farms running on prem. It was not designed really poorly and coded worse, but we had been hacking around it and just keeping it up and running. But in the cloud, that all costs money. Well, and optimization assumes that you can ferret out the uh, where each bit is being spent. I, I went through an exercise not too long ago of trying to sort out our own tenants. Uh, and figure out what was being spent where and drill down to why is this costing X? Uh, and it just took hours and hours of trying to dig through all this stuff to find what is this one thing that's costing so much money? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, that's partially a, a race to get the features out and worry about that stuff later. But, but some of it is that the vendors just don't, are not motivated um, to there's no financial incentive for them to make it easier for you to turn stuff off. Right. Right. Isn't in their interest. Well, as it turns out, uh, and uh, about 25% or 24% of current cloud spend is over budget. Uh, I'm sure that number has gotten even uh, worse mm -hmm. over the ensuing years since this uh, survey was done. Right. Uh, most projects, if we're 24% over budget, right, someone's getting called into the director's office, you're getting taken to task, right? Um, somebody's getting dressed down, there are repercussions. But right. when you're spending more money on the cloud, I mean, in essence, you did it. So who's, whose neck right. are you going to ring? Right. Right. Uh, now, some of this, I want to get your, your feedback on this. Some of this I can attribute to underestimating the amount of effort that it takes to actually implement in the cloud. The, the Kool-Aid drinkers who believed it when Microsoft or, or Amazon said, oh, yeah, it'll be easy. Just run this script and everything will move to the cloud. And it's nice and simple. Yeah, yeah. They watch The Matrix where you can learn something in a moment. They just put the <laughs> right tape in, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's it's very, 
I think there's so many details that we forget exist, right? And, and, you know, if I were to just pick network for a second, um, you know, we forget how do we get to the Microsoft network and is it fast path and do we have enough internet connection, uh, connection speed, right? And a lot of organizations, particularly at the start of this process, didn't. And so we, we forget about all those details and, okay, well now it's all up there and what about VPN? And they get into VPN and then I got to tunnel them back out and like, and all of this stuff is real. All of these problems are real, but we forget about them. So somebody goes, oh, yeah, you just you, you run this little script and it and it virtualizes your machine and it uploads them and it blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work that easy. Um, because of all those little details. And it certainly doesn't work that easy when you're migrating something like SharePoint, you know, this massive complex thing and moving it up to a totally different version with a uh, almost an entirely different feature set uh, up in the cloud. There is no lift and shift, right? right? It's, right. it's a complicated migration process and, and that takes time and expertise, right? And people don't plan for it effectively. Right. Well, so, so let's take SharePoint. Let's, let's take SharePoint for an example, right? And so you decide that you're going to stop your on-prem servers. Uh, and the 2013 servers should be shut down by now, but in a lot of cases they're not. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna lift and shift all of my 2010, uh, excuse me, my 2013 up to the cloud. And oh, by the way, you have 2010 workflows not supported in the cloud. Oh, by the way, you have 2013 workflows that are very close to not being supported in the cloud. Right, like everything is going to have to be power automate, um, and so how do you, you know, how do you move that stuff? Well, you move, you move the stuff that doesn't do. You have to allocate resources to regenerate um, what can be a complex workflow, um, and 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 so yeah, if you're, if you know, if you're picking the box up and moving it to infrastructure as a service, whatever, right? It still has a lot of complicated pieces to it from the network side. Um, but but when you start to talk about I'm really moving to platform as a service from infrastructure, then then it gets even more complicated. Um, and the questions the questions get more interesting too because uh, so let's say on-prem that you're keeping versions in a document library because you would. Um, when you do your uploads, do the versions have to stay mm. or do you only upload current? Right. Um, and it makes a huge difference in your total time and, and storage and, 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 right. Like it just is a huge, huge thing, but these are the kinds of decisions that you also have to make that nobody accounts for when they go, Oh, just run the script. Not to mention, you know, a devil in the details of things like, am I using managed metadata in my list? Well, that's not going to move, right? That's that's not exportable. It, it takes work to move that. It, it takes, takes a lot, lot of work. work. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's that's just focusing on the example of SharePoint. There are obviously many many other um, examples uh, as well. So I think it's it's part of we didn't anticipate the actual compute, uh, you know, cost uh, of of being in the cloud, but also the effort that it would take. Um, to get to the cloud. So let's let's focus on some things around the Microsoft 365 sphere. Um, I found this quote that I thought was particularly telling because uh, we deal with this all the time. Right. Uh, are, are the hidden costs associated with Power Platform? You mentioned right. Power Automate. Well, Power Automate, Power Apps, Power Virtual Agent, Power right. BI, Power, Power, Power is all the new hot thing. You know, it's this, this uh, the latest, you know, SharePoint, if you will, growing fast and, and being super successful. But at the same time, they have made the licensing so obtuse and so difficult and so challenging um, for this that that the costs can overrun you like a freight train. It's not a trickle of extra cost. I mean, this can just flat out run you over. Right. Well, so 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 let's just kind of put some some structure to this, right? So, if I were to do a straight line cost for an E3 license, uh, it's twenty three bucks a month now, right? Um, somewhere in that range a power platform uh excuse me a power apps license uh is ten dollars a month right so half of your overall cost right 
And you're like, okay, but but I get a whole bunch of stuff in Power Apps if I'm just talking to SharePoint. Yes, you absolutely do. And somebody is going to use something that isn't in the base. <laughs> Guaranteed they will do it because they need to talk to some REST service or there's some database thing that, yeah, it's 98% in SharePoint, but there's that 2% that is in some Azure SQL thing and you pop. And as soon as you pop, you now are into a totally different situation where it's $10 per user. Um, and yes, they do have a per app and it's like $5 per user per app per month. So after you get to like the second one, you're at like whatever. And so we build stuff and then you expect that it's going to work uh, and not be additional cost, but we find that it is. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the interesting situations I'm in with one of my clients is we built them a power app. We used some things that at the time were not premium features. Mm. Now they are. Okay. And as long as we do not make any changes to the app, there's no licensing change because it's whatever was in effect at the time we last published. If I so much as go in and refresh the publishing of that app, all of a sudden everybody has to have licenses. So now, now to use the same functionality, they're going to have to pay if I make any changes. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that has killed wave after wave of changes to that application because nobody wants to take the $200,000 per year hit that that change means, right? They can't justify it. Um, which, which leads to the inevitable reduction in adoption because they, you know, fool me once, uh, shame on right. you, fool me twice, right? Shame on me. Right. Uh, it's like, well, we're not going to get into that problem again. So we're just not going to use the tool. Right. 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 Which is the opposite of what the vendor is trying to achieve. But so by setting up these ridiculous pricing structures, they're, they're actually forcing users away from the very features they want them to consume. Right. Well, and there's also a couple of other kind of dynamics who uh, that was not an intentional pun because uh, Power Platform came from Dynamics. Um, there are other dynamics in this space uh, that are that surround um, the need to generate adoption, the need to have, in some cases, external parties engaging. Now, they fixed some defects on the Microsoft side. They fixed some defects. Uh, around assigning licenses to external parties. And you can do that now. Um, but you still can't do anonymous unless you do uh, Power Pages. But Power Pages isn't the same as Power Apps exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like the Frankenstein version. Um, and 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 so we, we have license complexity. We have technical complexity driven by the license complexity. Um, and, and, and you're right. It's stopping people from doing what what everybody wants to do, which is use features, have better products, work faster, more efficiently, whatever. Um, and, and this starts to represent a barrier. Very much so. And it, it creeps in on you in places you don't expect. For example, we have a connector for uh, Power Platform uh, and all custom connectors, uh, including certified. I shouldn't say all because there's a special class of, of lucky folks who get marked as standard connectors. But for the rest of us, we're premium connectors. Uh, right. And that means that the user has to be buying premium features. Well, on the one hand, you have them saying, we need more connectors, we need more connector partners, we need more connector utilization, except your policy of marking connectors as premium prevents us from monetizing that, prevents us from expanding the feature set for that because right. there's no monetization, uh, right. prevents people from adopting it, right? All the metrics that you want to achieve are, are being suppressed because you refuse to take the cap off that says these, uh, you know, you don't have to have a premium license to use these. So right. it's the old Microsoft thing of divisions with guns pointing at each other, right? They're, right. they're constantly, even within the own org, shooting themselves in the foot. Right. Yeah. So, so that's a really good example, right? So here's a situation where you have a third party vendor trying to plug in, and you want to extract 
some financial remuneration for the value you bring to the table. But what happens is Microsoft jumps in the way and goes, okay, you can totally use them. They're totally approved. We love them. Great people. You just pay me $10 at the door and then I'll let you in and then you can pay them. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and, and, you know, people instinctively don't react well to that. Um, Indeed. <clears throat> and, and it's putting up roadblocks where there really don't need to be any uh, yep. roadblocks. Right. So let's, let's go even bigger picture and let's talk about a lot of the things. And I just, these are just off the top of my head, some things that I threw up uh, onto the uh, slide as discussion points. And there's so many, many more, obviously yeah. where costs can get hidden when you're in the, in the 365 sphere. But uh, you had previously mentioned one that's at the very uh, top in the upper left here, and that is the security and compliance and, yeah. and related to the e-discovery, how it's not obvious at all that these features that you really want to use to secure your organization and to comply with Microsoft best practices are going to cost you more money. Right. Yeah. One of the things that's a big jump from uh, the E3 licensing to the E5 licensing is, is a lot of these features. Um, and one of the things that, one of the things that changed, we used to in the way back time, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we still used SharePoint 2010, we could automatically classify documents, right? We could automatically, with a workflow, say, this is a record, this isn't a record, whatever, right? Um, to get those automatic, those automated features for labels, which is the new e-discovery mechanism, um, you have to be in an E5, and it's all the people who benefit from. And this is actually one of those funny things, right? So who benefit from? We What? Not the person making the rule, Right. But anybody who could benefit from the rule. Mm -hmm. like, well, who is that? Who even is that? Right. <laughs> like, how do, like, that's like saying, I'm going to build a road. And anybody that drives on it, uh, we're not going to put tolls in their vehicles, but you're going to have to tell me ahead of time whether they're going to drive on that road or not. And if they are, I'm going to charge you for it. Like, and, and by the way, we're also going to charge you if anybody uses that road to get to your house or business because you benefited but, from it. Right. Right. And I think you 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 look at that and it's and it's a super, super difficult thing. Um, I think it's a you know, that's a particular spot in the licensing model, which I think is just fundamentally broken. Um, I know why they're doing it. Right. Like they're trying to drive enterprises out of E3s and into E5s. And maybe it'll do it. The, the sticker shock between the two is still a little big. Um, but the thing is, like, if you're if you don't know that particular thing, if e-discovery isn't the thing you do, and it's one of the things I do, um, you don't know that you can't go set a rule to automatically label everything in a certain way. You, you don't know that, that that's what the rule is. And guess what? The product doesn't stop you. Mm hmm. Because a product has no idea, right? Um, what happens is you end up in an audit or you have some friendly Microsoft salesperson come by and like, oh, hey, you're using that. That means every single person in your organization now has to have an E5, right? And then it becomes a really good conversation if you have frontline employees, the F1, um, whether they're benefiting from it or not. <laughs> so you can move from an F1, which is a whatever, $10 per month, $5 per month, whatever it is, um, to, you know, $40 per month because they benefit from the automatic identification of their submission as a record. It just, it's, it's sort of, sort of very ludicrous. Well, that's, there are many adjectives, that being one of them, ludicrous, uh, yeah. certainly. Uh, and there's lots of other places where that, that happens. I mean, just just picking a few. Let's go to some of the hot topics of the moment. Uh, uh, Viva, we Viva. want you to do all this Viva stuff, right? In Las Vegas or not? Yeah. And and we're got all these features, and it's Viva, 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 constantly, right. or or even renaming stuff, right? Now, Yammer's now Viva Engage. Everything's a Viva. Um, <sighs> okay, fine. Hot topic of the moment, but every single one of them comes with additive cost. And separate licenses. It isn't like you license Viva, you uh, you know Viva Connect and Viva blah blah blah, Viva, whatever it is, right? And so oh well, I've got a Viva license. And by the way, I should pick. I should say that the Power Platform has the same problem, right? Because 
Um, Power Automate has a P1 license. Power Apps have a P1 license, right? And so you don't buy Power Platform licenses. You buy individual products in it. And mm -hmm. Viva is the same way. Um, you know, Viva is a brand. So, so we should be clear. Like Viva is not a thing, right? There's no box o Viva, right? <laughs> what there is is there there's a brand that is Viva, and underneath that brand are a set of things. Mm -hmm. um, and the things that are underneath that brand, uh, in most cases, require an extra cost. Um, the one. Um, actually, I think Viva Connect, I said, was, uh, was Yammer's Engage. But Viva Connect, which is really SharePoint internet pages in, in Teams. And by the way, if you're having trouble following, you are not alone. <laughs> um, that doesn't have an added license, but most of the other things do. And that's um, that it, it's challenging, uh, A, because it's inconsistent, but B, because you, it doesn't make any sense to go buy multiple licenses in one thing, but not in another, right? Um, yeah. So you you get this this proliferation of all these cool things. It's not like they're adding value. Sometimes they're releasing a feature that adds value to an existing license. Right? They always like right. to say, "We're making your license better." Right. Um, oh, okay, but. But what they're really doing is adding more and more um, incidental cost features, right? right? And then promoting those as the must-haves uh, right. that, that uh, you know, what you budgeted for $20 a month, the next thing you turn around at $75 a month right? Uh, for adding all these pieces. And nowhere is that more true than Power BI, which is why I put in here in, in reports, right? Power BI is ridiculously expensive. Uh, uh, whether it's justified or not is a totally different conversation. It's ridiculously expensive per user and very difficult to figure out what license do I need for what feature inside of the product? Oh, you want paginated reports? Well, that's a different um, right. license. You want right. um, this or that thing? It's a, it's another different uh, license and it's changing all the time. Well, and, and so, so it's really interesting about that is there's this need to, you assign a license to somebody and, and we had this in the old days, right? Like, so in the old days we'd push the software to somebody and they'd use project for two days and then they stopped using it. Right. But, but we started to watch for that, right? Like we built 20 years of code and, and systems to go, Oh, he's not really using project hasn't used it in the last year. So I'm going to pull it, pull his license and reallocate it to somebody else. Um, and that's really difficult to do, at least in our current state of, of things. Um, the other thing that that Microsoft's selling is uh, buy by the box, right? Um, you don't have to pay for individual users. You pay for the box, quote unquote, the box, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not infrastructure as a service because you don't actually own the box. We own the box, but we're going to let people in. And then until you exceed the capacity of that box, and then we'll scale it for you, but we'll charge you for that. Um, and And yeah, it's super complicated. And I, I think that, you know, again, you're going to get an answer. The answer is going to be wrong and it'll work until it doesn't. And then you'll have to pay the piper and, and, you know, and then you'll have to basically react and respond. Yeah. And we should uh, probably should have mentioned this at the outset, but let's go ahead and baseline set for all those people who are going to jump on us and say, well, you're saying Microsoft shouldn't make money off of their products. And if they don't charge for it, then they can't do R&D and they can't invest in new things. So that's absolutely not what we're saying. What we are saying is that um, it's too hard to plan for. Uh, it's more expensive than the customer thinks because it's too hard to, to plan for. The way that the licensing structure is structured is an absolute disaster uh, and is impossible for anyone, uh, even uh, the people that work for the vendor <laughs> to figure out. Uh, it's an absolute uh, mess. Not that customers shouldn't be paying fair value for the features that they receive. Of course they should, uh, but it's just too hard and it sneaks up on people and it's it's preventing people from actually using a lot of these uh, features that we're all out there promoting because it's more expensive than they could ever afford and, and certainly more expensive than they planned for. Right. 
Uh, so let's mention a few other things. Dataverse, I put that on there for a particular reason, because this is one of those, if you come in through a P license, right, then you have to pay extra for a Dataverse add-on. However, if you're coming in from an E5 and you have a Teams benefit, right, then you get this interesting Dataverse allocation that you can use in Teams. So you think you have Dataverse, but then you can't use it when you go over to Power Platform because it's different. And who in the heck came up with this ridiculous <coughs> travesty of licensing? Um, they had just finished watching Doctor Strange in the multiverse. <laughs> I'm going to believe that one. <laughs> uh, so you're you're not always getting what you think you're getting. You see, oh, we have Dataverse because it's on my E5. I have Teams. I, I have Dataverse. We have Dataverse. Fantastic. Wonderful. Yes, Microsoft. We're going to go all the, do this Dataverse stuff. Wait, what do you mean? I can't. I don't actually have it. It says I have it, I, but I can't use it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I and it and it's you know we can we can be cranky about it but but really we're calling for all so for all of us we're calling look for the gotchas for Microsoft we're calling eliminate the gotchas <laughs> right like change the model so that the model isn't um super difficult. And I, I so I remember an MVC an MVP summit um long long time ago. Um uh, the earth had cooled by then there were dinosaurs but it was a while ago and steve balmer stood up in front of the mvps and there's i don't know 1300 of us and he said i want to fix licensing it's like the thing i get come the most escalations i get to my office is licensing i want it consistent i want it to, we want to do it the same way every single time because i don't want these calls and honestly he was way better off than we are today <laughs> right <laughs> like true. there are a couple of quirks like you didn't pay for standby servers for sql like that was just one of those quirks in the licensing model um you paid for standby servers everywhere else but not for sql um but now i would i would argue that nobody actually understands licensing beyond a single product and there aren't many that understand a single product mm, that's the truth uh, no question about it. Well, let's talk about the the hot topic of the day, AI. And in this context, we're talking about Copilot. Yep. Um, I'm not sure if pricing has been announced for, for Copilot. Um, uh, if it hasn't, uh, one can assume it's going to be significant. Uh, and here is yet another uh, benefit of Microsoft doing something that's a really cool feature that's going to have a lot of value and whatnot, that if it were a buck or two a month, probably people would probably go, we're all in. But yep. if it's 30 or 50, yeah, right, forget about it. Well, and it was announced at 30 and okay. it's 30 plus, right? Like, mm -hmm. so you start with an E3 or an E5. So 20 or whatever, 40 some dollars it is for those two licenses. And then it's $30 on top of that if you want to turn on Copilot. Um, and, so and more you, than the cost of the base license for one feature. Right. Plus add. Right. And, what, and here's the thing. And I think you know, big, big, super big picture. Uh, we, we started from the, the very beginning. We said computes the expensive piece computes, the thing that we pay for. Um, and AI takes a ton of compute, true. an absolute ton of computing. Mm -hmm. And so you now have for AI. So if you get a copilot, you buy an E3 license for $23, you add $30 for the copilot functionality, right? And and you've more than doubled your cost to add copilot. And, and, and it's more insidious than that. And it's more insidious because there's two factors that would cause you to pick uh, who gets the license. And the first one's the actual, could they use it? Would it deliver $30 of value per month? And I'll tell you, you won't know. Mm-hmm. There is no systemic way at an organizational scale to know this person, Jane, Bob, whomever it is, is going to actually get $30 of, of value per month. Two, and this is actually the scarier one, um, it will become a status symbol. And we have seen this over and mm -hmm. over. It becomes a status symbol. So here's the thing. All of your executives get copilot because mm -hmm. they're executives here's the thing 
They don't touch the computer. They don't stand near the computer when it's on because they're afraid of it. But and their assistant does everything for them. But they're going to get co-pilot because they're an executive and executives get co-pilot. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm being a little bit snarky about all that. Right. But I think we've all probably seen that where you are assigning this license to a class of user. And don't pick executives, pick directors, right? Who spend, you know, 80% of their time in meetings. Less than 20% of their time getting something actually actually doing work. But you're going to do copilot for them. Why? Well, part of that is copilot allows you to do automatic transcriptions of Teams meetings, and you can um, have a even worse design wizard approach for PowerPoint. Um, which I did not think was possible, just so we're clear. <laughs> the design wizard, I don't know if you guys use it or not, but like, ooh, ooh what were you thinking? Right. So um, so we're going to end up with classes of users that get it, and we won't know whether that user can or can't extract the value out of Copilot. Mm-hmm. So uh, and arguably the people who, who would use it the most aren't even going to have access to it. Well, here's the thing. You hire an intern. Or I see you hire an intern. So you, you have an intern in for the summer. You have an entry-level person in your organization. Do you instantly give them co-pilot? Unlikely. Not at $30 a month. Right. But here's the thing. Who are the people who are most likely to get value out of a tool that automates all the stuff that most people don't know how to do. It's going to be those people who are there and you're like, yeah, but it's $30 a month. And I'm like, yeah. And this person actually does work 30 hours a week. They're on Facebook five. They're in meetings five. They do 30 <laughs> hours with work. Right. And, but, but that's not how we're going to allocate licenses. And, and again, you and I have seen this over the last several decades that's not how that works. Um, and so how do we get to, you know, how are you going to figure out who gets it? How are you going to pull it back when people aren't using it? How are you even going to get the signaling to know they're not using it? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and so that's the, you know, with AI, it, it is the big dollar ticket item and it's going to be the thing that, doubles IT budgets next year. Um, but there's no way to know. And I think it's even too soon in the cycle to assess what are you getting money for value because we don't or, or value for money because we don't actually know what the value of that is. Right? We don't know what the what is the value of uh, meeting transcriptions and and rewriting emails, which is what it's going to be used for more often than not. Uh, or as you say, do, doing PowerPoint design, right? Um, right. Is it is it worth that um, investment? Right. Um, at the same time, is it um, the AI depends on more utilization, right? More inputs to the models, better models, better output. Right. right. By by choking off utilization because of a cost structure, um, we're not actually helping build better models. We're just sort of in a static. Um, kind of scenario where we get this sudden uptake of usage and then it stalls. And we've all seen projects based on various different types of features where you get an uptake and then, and then it flattens out uh, because they, they've reached that. They've made some determination of value for money and, and it, objectively or subjectively, it's not meeting that bar. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's also another really interesting dynamic is um, for the AI to do its job, it really has to analyze the corpus. And if you have lots of people licensed to it, the actual query rate um, is low comparative to the work that has to be done to prep the model to be able to do the work, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we sort of ignored that when we when we did search, right? Like, because search was a built-in product, right? And so search, you just assumed you had. And so there's a lot of work that goes into the crawling aspect of search. And when that crawling is done, then you can reap the benefits. And AI is really sort of the same thing, right? Like it's pre-processing a lot of stuff. Um, and queries are still expensive, but it's all the pre-processing that's, 
pre-processing that also really hurts. It's the stuff that's expensive. If you have fewer people getting the AI licenses, you have to spread that baseline cost across fewer licenses, i.e. it has to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's, you, you, you end up in a bad cycle and a negative feedback loop. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. Um, and, and I think one uh, additional area that often gets overlooked is you mentioned earlier that, that storage is cheap uh, until that storage is in the cloud. Um, and then storage is expensive. Uh, and this is nowhere is this more true than on the Salesforce uh, platform where yeah. storage is just horrendously expensive. Um, and SAP. This as well, overcharging, in my opinion, for uh, what, what should be, you know, basic uh, storage resources. But nevertheless, when you start adding video, when when you start ingesting more um, documents, when you start where are all those Teams transcriptions going to go that AI is generating, right? They have to be stored uh, somewhere. So the storage costs start start racking up and up and up. Uh, and it sounds like the this this mythical one terabyte we get per user sounds like a lot until you actually uh, are are going in and, for example, doing hybrid search with publishing your indexes online and and right consuming all that. It's a massive hit uh, to yep. storage that most of the enterprise customers that I work with, we're talking upwards of twenty thousand uh, users in an organization are buying extra storage as part of their M three sixty five right uh, deployment. Yep. Yep. Uh, and that's an area that just doesn't get calculated. So that can we can we change these things? No. Can can we fix them? No. Can we give feedback to to the vendors? Yes. Do they listen to us? They're probably not. Some, some cases they might. Um, but uh, yeah, they ought to be listening to the customers who are saying this is crazy. But um, what what you have to do is take all this stuff into account when planning your cloud migration or cloud implementation strategy. Yep. It's not enough. You you simply cannot, you never could trust a vendor who tells you it's going to be cheap. Anyone who did that, shame on you. Right. Uh, but you really have to spend the time to think about what features do we need? What features do we want? What do we need? What additional budget can we set aside for features that we don't know we need yet that we are going to need? When you're negotiating a three-year um, EA in, in the current cloud environment, that may as well be forever from now. Right. Right? It's just a long right. time. So right. all of these things have to be taken into consideration when you are planning uh, your migration strategy uh, or implementation strategy and understand that it's going to be way more than the vendor may have initially uh, indicated or, or it's not quite what you read on the back of the cereal box. Right. Yep. Um, so we obviously we could continue to talk about um, all little bits and pieces and parts, and maybe we'll pick up on some of these other topics in the future. But that's all the time we have for this particular episode. Uh, so again, want to thank our sponsors, uh, Aptigent, um, um, Thor in general, and and all the other stuff, Rob, you've got going on, confidence change management, yep. <laughs> yep. uh, SharePoint Shepherd, if that's still a thing, yep. and, and lots of other stuff that, that Rob has going on. Uh, and uh, we will see all of you next month uh, with another great topic that we will pontificate on in our usual manner. Rob, thank you for joining me this month, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, friend. Bye, everyone.